You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 14. You'd made the comment that currently the economy, you can think of it as a a large AI, it is distributed. And the components are not necessarily uh, artificial intelligence. They they are our natural intelligences. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining Local Maximum today. Well, a long episode today, but it's worth it. I went in, I, I listened to the whole thing. I went in to see if I could cut out 15 minutes, but it turned out that it was all interesting. So why not just keep all hour plus of it? I'm going to talk to Aaron today. First, we're going to dive into this Washington Post op-ed where they promote this idea of an AI-based socialist future. I couldn't stand reading it, but we'll talk it through and hopefully provide a good rebuttal. Uh, Welcome everyone who's new, by the way. I know that we have a lot of new people joining us. I handed out a lot of flyers recently. We have a a lot of varying formats on the show. Sometimes I interview guests about interesting topics and technology and data and entrepreneurship and all that stuff. Uh, Sometimes I'll give a tutorial on an important concept uh, that I've learned, you know, whether it's Bayesian statistics or... um, or Markov Chain Monte Carlo, that sort of stuff that you're like, oh, I'll never understand that, but I, I help people understand that. But today is another one of those topical shows where we're going to examine some of the news and ideas in the world. Uh, people like these. I get a lot of downloads. But let me know what format you're enjoying most. Email uh, the show, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Now, there are really a lot of economic arguments being made when it comes to the future of artificial intelligence, many of them without a whole lot of evidence and mostly based on speculation. For example, you'll always hear, uh, everyone is going to lose their job and it's only going to help the 1%, that sort of thing. But what we see printed here in the Washington Post over the last week is probably uh, the most potentially destructive the idea that we can replace all of our economic decision-making with a central planning AI. Talk about giving up your freedom. Uh, This is not a path to utopia, folks. And obviously, we can look at the past, say, the Soviet Union or present-day Venezuela. I'll link to a New York Times op-ed on that. Interestingly, uh, the op-ed doesn't mention the word socialism, so it's always blamed on something else. But an AI decision-maker... I think, would put political repression on a whole different plane. You'd end up with a small number of people who maintain the system. That's the elite, I guess, in this system. And they would set the objective function over time. Hey, society needs this. Robot, go do it. Uh, They say artificial intelligence is too dangerous to be owned by a private person or company. You know, you'd be banned from having it. There'd be aggressive crackdowns on its private use anywhere. And whatever robot Stalin says... That's what happens. Uh, not Robot Bernie, Robot Stalin. Um, but no, I really don't think I'm strawmanning this article here. All of the features that I just mentioned are actually mentioned as good things in the article, using more positive language, of course. Now, who would want a society like this? Well, I guess the Washington Post editorial board at least thinks it's worth considering enough to print this. So uh, we're going to talk about it. Also, think about how much unfair discrimination you'd have if one AI ran the show. I haven't read 
I mean, I've been recommended to read uh, this book, Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill, about some of the negative consequences of relying on algorithms. And I don't think that a strong AI would be immune to this problem. I just think this type of thinking is leading us to the worst of all wor worlds. And uh, so I'm going to address it with Aaron today. Uh, then, <laughs> so I shouldn't get it. I should just get right into the discussion. Uh, we, we've, we've got some other stuff after that. Uh, we're going to cover uh, Google's new AI assistant that will make calls for you. Very interesting. Uh, that stuff's really cool, actually. And finally, we'll address all of the negativity surrounding Bitcoin coming from Bill Gates and also Warren Buffett. So great. Let's get on with it. Let's bring Aaron in here. Okay, Aaron, thanks for coming back on the show. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. It's, it's always fun to be here. Man, we researched this. Uh, we, we actually did some research for this one, didn't we? Yeah, this is extra work beyond the day job. I know, seriously. At Foursquare just moved to a new office. So, and I came back from San Francisco. It's just been uh it's been a lot of work, a lot of running around. I think it'll pay off though. I think a lot of people have I, I did go to a lot of events, promoted the podcast, and so um I think a lot of new people are going to be listening today. Get some West Coast listeners in there. Yeah, yeah, and some East Coast listeners. So, all right. So, let's talk about this article. This article really uh, this really, um, this, this really one's really frustrating. This one really grinds my gears, right? And so the article is basically communist propaganda from the Washington Post. That's how I would characterize it. Um, and the title is AI Will Spell the End of Capitalism. Um, now, I should point out that the author of this is um, a Chinese professor of law uh, at. Uh, Tsinghua University. I hope I pronounced that right. That's just outside of Beijing. But I'm, I don't really want to take this in the angle of, oh, this is, this is what the Chinese believe and I'm, I'm, a, I'm against it kind of a thing, because I really think this article is printed in the Washington Post. It's an American newspaper. It's printed for an American audience. And this is the kind of stuff that I think we hear a lot in our media and in our schools um, without much of a uh, counter argument in any of the kind of mainstream sources. So I don't want it. I, I don't want this to be an international thing. I think this could have easily be, been written by a professor uh, or anyone really, but most likely a professor here, <laughs> here in the United States. Yeah, there are any number of, of universities in the US that, that I would have had no trouble believing it was written by a professor from there. Uh, without jumping to, oh, it must have been a Chinese uh, academic. Yeah, I mean, I also don't want to be, you know, I, they, they learn, you know, every country learns different things in school and, and different uh, assumptions. Like, I don't want to be that guy, you know, like, I, you know, like if you're talking to a European, and this has never happened to me, but, uh, but, but for some reason in my mind, you know, if you talk to European and you say something good about the founding fathers and they'll be like, didn't you know that the American founding fathers had slaves? They were terrible people. It may be true, but like, how annoying is that if like some, someone from another country comes in and starts uh, ignoring their own history and telling you how your history is all bad? So I don't want to really engage in that. So we, we will leave Mao out of this. Yeah. But I will say that if I had a dollar for every time, uh, let's let's just say in the last hundred years, someone has, has said that such and such will be the end of capitalism, I'd, I'd have a lot more dollars than I currently have. You would be a, a very successful capitalist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the... Um, 
the gist of the article before I get into reading some quotes is like, yeah, socialism failed a lot uh, over the, um, and I'm, I know I'm conflating, I'm going to get criticized here for conflating socialism and, and communism a bit here, but that's sort of, I mean, I, I well, the, to, to be fair, I think they, I don't think they use the word communist anywhere in the article. I, I think they call out socialism. socialism. Okay. So I'll say socialism. Um, it's oh, like, no, that's not true. There's, there's there's seven occurrences of communist oh. in there. I spoke too soon. Okay, but okay. but they but, but the but article they, conflates they, them. They use it interchangeably with socialism. Okay, okay. So right, it's basically one of those articles that is saying, well, yeah, socialism failed in the past for a variety of reasons, but with AI, capitalism is going to fail, and then socialism is going to be the system that succeeds because AI fundamentally transforms the economy, and I couldn't disagree more, but let's actually read into the argument. I'll make the strong argument based on um, the economic calculation um, idea. And then we'll talk about some of the sort of memes or common arguments that come up in this article and uh, that I also just find ridiculous. So let me just start by reading the first two paragraphs, right? Uh, the, moment, the most momentous challenge facing socioeconomic systems today is the arrival of artificial intelligence. If AI remains under the control of market forces, it will inexorably result in a super-rich oligopoly of data billionaires who reap the wealth created by robots that displace human labor, leaving massive unemployment in their wake. But China's socialist market economy could provide a solution to this. If AI rationally allocates resources through big data analysis, and if robust feedback loops can supplant the imperfections of the quote, invisible hand, while fairly sharing the vast wealth it creates, a planned economy that actually works could at last be achievable. Um, so that's the main gist of the article. Let me talk about the the main, I think people don't really realize the main reason that socialism doesn't work. Um, I think when you're first thinking about these issues and you think about it very simplistically, it's sort of like, well, maybe people wouldn't want to work if everybody makes the same but that's turns out that's not really that strong of an argument because um, you could say, well, people might want to work. People, uh, you know, we well, <laughs> in practice, maybe we just kind of force them. But um, or you can have. I mean, that is something in 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 some economies that that cause a, a whole lot of trouble. We can talk about Venezuela a little bit. But I think the bigger problem is the economic calculation problem. That's when you run out of you kind of distort the price system so much that you no longer have any prices. So you no longer know which resources you should be using to create things, which resources you need to conserve more on. And you don't know what are, what's the aggregate, you know, um, what is the, what are the aggregate desires of millions and millions of people and what they want that drive production. And that's something that only a market system can really take into account. You could think of a market system as a giant computer, but it's a decentralized computer. And what this article is assuming is that uh, a an AI, essentially a centralized, generalized AI, I assume it's a big data system or some group of robots that replace human labor, will replace the market allocation system. And if you think about it, um, I'm reminded of the analogy that 
I, I heard, I don't know if it came from Warren Buffett, probably not, but I heard Warren Buffett once used when, it, when he was talking about uh, profitability when it came to technology. And the idea was that, you know, it, it's like everybody's standing up at a baseball game to try to see better. Um, once everybody stands up, uh, everybody has the new technology, nobody can see better. But whoever stands up first is for a few seconds, they're going to see more. And that's where the extra profit in technology comes in. You have, you're, you have a little bit, um, you, you make your profit in a market system by being a little bit ahead on the technology. So when these generalized AI systems come, it's going to be ultimately, it might start with a few people. It might start with, say, the super rich, or it might start with some of these big tech companies. But ultimately, everybody throughout the economy are going to have access to these tools and you'll have everybody generating more information, everybody uh, having more, uh, you know, having more problems to solve. And so I think that the, it, it doesn't change the calculus that there's going to be some kind of a, uh, that the, 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 the centralized, you know, socialist paradigm is going to work. But I feel like and, and to every and- other day, someone's going to say everyone really wants socialism. And they're going to be like, now can we have socialism? Come on, something changed. Now can we have socialism? And this has been going on for 200 years. This is not different than any argument. I'm, I bet I can go back 100 years and find an article written by you know, the Luddite movement um, talking about something very similar. Well, yeah, th- on, on the topic of Luddites, I, I, I want to take your, your I guess it's a, a metaphor of, of the baseball game and and and. and- just, just really tear it apart, not not in, in destroying it, but but carrying it to too, far too far a conclusion. Uh, so Let's see. <laughs> everybody stands up, except there's always going to be that one guy who's sitting down and says, no, you're supposed to sit at a baseball game, and I'm going to sit here and complain about how I can't see anything. Uh, and and there will be people who refuse to adopt new technologies and complain that it's the new te- the fault of the new technology that they're refusing to adopt that that they are not able to keep up with things uh and then there's perhaps uh what what some some people who who would advocate uh for for how a a socialist approach might be able to better handle the market than a capitalist one would be well there are some people who can't stand up because there's somebody in that baseball stadium in a wheelchair and so it's unfair for anybody to stand up and block somebody else's view when not all of us have the ability to stand up and and i i think those are both uh very, very fallacious arguments, but, but yeah. they're, they're where the metaphor drew my mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, ultimately, AI is going to help people who have some disabilities even more than it would help the average person, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I think, if anything, AI is going to lead towards you know, capitalism increasing our standard of livings by uh, leaps and bounds unimaginable to us today. Um, And I kind of think back to the industrial revolution, the way people were living, you know, in 1850 versus 1950 or 1920, you know, it's just a huge increase in the standard of living, just electricity, you know, vehicles, you know, I, I, it always bothers me that the uh, large companies, the late 19th century, the, the uh, owners are called robber barons, where, you know, most of them didn't rob anyone, but, you know, they drove down the price of steel, they drove down the price of transportation, they drove down the price of oil. And I mean, look, yes, if you look at the average person's lifestyle at that time, it's really bad, but it's much better than what came 50 years before that. 
it, it gets to a fundamental question about how you're measuring benefit. Uh, that a lot of what people focus on today is the wealth gap or or or, or wealth distribution. Um, uh, there's there's a, a more proper term for it, but income inequality. Uh, Yes, thank you. The the whole ninety nine percent and and the one percent thing. Never, it's never and, wealth inequality. It's always income inequality. That's very inequality. yeah. And so and and that's that is a that is one valid way of looking at the problem. But it completely ignores the fact that you can have one percent receiving a a vastly disproportionate fraction of the GDP of a nation, and yet still be lifting up uh, the standard of living for. The, the nation as a whole while increasing that that disparity. One, yeah. uh, so it's they're, they're not mutually exclusive. One thing that we should look at, you um, know, people talk about wealth inequality, income inequality. Uh, one thing that should be talked about more is um, whether there is standard of living inequality. And what I'm thinking here is, okay, let's say you're, you're around 200 years ago, right? If you're a, a rich person, how do you get around? Well, you probably have... Uh, a carriage with a driver and horses, and you kind of have an attendant inside. You could, you could, you can go from city to city in style, right? But if you are poor, you really you're going on foot with probably not too good shoes, and it's going to take you days to get to the next town. Um, now, in 2018, it's like, do you want to go in a really cool new sports car? Do you want to go in a beat up car? Uh, well, that's still unequal, but and maybe the the price differential is huge. But uh, or or you can go in, in on a bus, you know. But uh, still, the um, it, it's it's far less unequal in terms of what the product that you're getting. I feel like that may be true in in some respects, uh, but at least my perception when it comes to air travel is that it is very extreme in the difference between me traveling in coach and the people traveling in first class. Or private and granted, jets. they, they yeah, pay yeah. for that. But yeah, yeah. That, that feels much more reminiscent of, of uh, you know, perhaps 100, 150 years ago, uh, what, what that discrepancy yeah, might have Yeah, but after like. the flight, <laughs> you all get there at the same amount of time. Yeah. We- um, and... Uh, and, and unless you're really wealthy, you still go through the same probulating yeah, yeah. security. I mean, I guess the, a, a better analogy for that would be, you know, the people who are going in a private jet, which also sounds like kind of a pain to me. Uh, but um, that would be way more comfortable. But again, I mean, <laughs> you're both getting there at, in, at the same period of time. And it's not like the uh, it's not like one is one is maybe a better experience during that time but i mean it's <laughs> it's it's fine flying is fine <laughs> so so one one thing you mentioned uh earlier was talking about the linchpin of this author's uh idea is is that there's going to be some sort of super central ai that's going to solve the 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 information paradox let me let me actually read let me read the third paragraph because that's kind of what says that The more AI advances into a general purpose technology that permeates every corner of life, the less sense it makes to allow it to remain in private hands that serve the interests of the few instead of the many. More than anything else, the inevitability of mass unemployment and demand for universal welfare 
will drive the idea of socializing or nationalizing AI. Was that what something what you were talking about, or were you talking about something else? I, I was going to take it in a slightly okay. different uh, direction, but but just you you made the comment that, that that currently the economy you can think of it as as a a, a large AI, but it is right. Uh, it is distributed, and and the components are not necessarily uh, artificial intelligence. They they are our natural intelligences driving our uh, consumption and, and purchasing and, and, and market prices. But within that, that decentralized system, there currently are AIs that are seeking for opportunities for arbitrage uh, and, and exploiting sure. them. Uh, many of the, I mean, the, the hedge funds are one of the, the you know, kind of driving innovators for, for some forms of AI, uh, certainly some forms of, of algorithm development. Uh, and, and in doing so, uh, because they're they're seeing uh, inefficiencies in the market uh, when they pursue them, they drive those those uh, that that market pricing to more accurately reflect the value of those resources, thereby yeah. making the market itself more efficient. And so you could say that that in this case, AI is making capitalism stronger. Yeah, uh, one not thing leading you know, people to its often downfall. ask me: What is it going to be like to live in a society? with super intelligence that no human can, can understand. And I say, you know, look around you. We already live in a society with a super intelligence. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the market is a super intelligence that no human being can understand. If you walk through the city here in Brooklyn, I walk up and down the street, I see, um, you know, the distribution of stores and buildings. And yes, there, you know, there's some urban planning that goes into that, but like what goes on inside each store and what goes on, you know, that that's a result of human intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence. Don't think that like all of these chains aren't like, you know, using um, big data analysis to lay out their, uh, to lay out their stores and lay out their marketing campaigns and all that. Um, and, and not to mention the process that all of these items are created. Um, this is, we are living in a hyper-intelligent world right now. Absolutely. That line of thought reminds me a lot of something that's been mentioned on, on another podcast um, by, by some of the folks out of, uh, uh, of oh, okay. Marketplace Radio, uh, Make Me Smart. They've, they've, they've talked a couple of times about how you know, what, this system that, that we refer to as the economy, does anybody really understand it? Is it already totally out of control? Uh, and, and I think the consensus is, yes, yes, it is. It is far too complex for us to really get a handle on, but is that a bad thing? I mean, thing? that's already. Um, if, if you want yeah. to feel in control, yes. Uh, but, but, but as long as it's working, and, and I guess for varying definitions of working, that, I mean, that is yeah, or is not I, you true. know, if North Korea, they're in control. One guy is in control of the economy, and maybe a small group of people understand it, but that's not really what, that's not really the kind of society they want to live in. All right, let's continue. <laughs> Marx's dictum. From each according to their abilities to each according to their needs, needs an update for the 21st century. They're always updating. It's always like, let's find another argument. Uh, from the inability of an AI economy to provide jobs and a living wage to for all, to each according to their needs. Um, yeah, okay. Even at this early stage, the idea that digital capitalism will somehow make social welfare a priority has already proven to be a fairy tale. The billionaires of Google and Apple who have been depositing company profits in offshore haven to avoid taxation are hardly paragons of social responsibility. Hey, I should, pr they're, they're protecting wealth. That's, that's very responsible. Anyway, uh, 
ongoing scandal around Facebook's <laughs> business model, which puts profitability above responsible citizenship, is yet another example of how in digital capitalism, private companies only look after their own interests at the expense of the rest of society. Now, it's interesting that they bring up these companies and, you know, Facebook, we've talked about Facebook, we've ranted about Facebook on this show, and Facebook is going to have to make some changes. But compare Facebook to uh, the either the Chinese government or even the American government. Well, I mean, there, maybe there are special cases. I mean, the, the Chinese government is just, you know, out of control with the censorship and it doesn't even work. People go around. The U.S. government you know, a lot of data is collected on us. Uh, we're being spied on day to day. I, that, that I was... think that our government is spying on us in much more troublesome ways than these companies are, actually. Yeah, that, that was definitely one of the memes that came out of the Zuckerberg hearing is is one of the uh, uh, con- con- congressmen on on the panel uh, saying, so so tell me all about these, you know, the, the secret data collection you're doing on all of our cell phones and on every internet communication and all of our emails. Uh, and, and that was very close to an actual question that was, that was stated. Uh, but the, the, the part that, that memified it was, Oh wait, <laughs> sorry, that's us. Yeah, yeah, tell yeah. us what Facebook is doing. Um, yeah. And these companies will, you know, they will adopt over time. Like I think in five, 10 years, Facebook is going to be a very different company. Google is going to be a very different company. Um, the, these governments are still going to be collecting as much data as they possibly can on us in the same ways. I don't see that changing as easily. Yeah. I mean, the big change is potentially the, uh, what is it? The GDPR. Oh yeah. We've been Europe, working the- hard on that. <laughs> I had to make a whole bunch of changes uh, to Marsbot today. You know, very small user base, experimental product, but we need to make it GDPR compliant. And that I, I guess you can see how kind of hurts yeah, innovation. I, I'm not yeah. convinced. If, if it's just, yeah, it's it's not going to really make huge changes in what is being collected. It's just going to make it perhaps more transparent. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, um, there there was a rule that you ha- if somebody asks to be deleted, you have to delete all their data after 30 days. Um, but but one question that that does come up is okay, what if you have a sort of running list of like visitors to your website um, for each month, and then someone wants their data deleted? Do you have to go back and subtract the visitor count from every month? And then I think the answer is well, no, it's a visitor count. It's nobody's going to care if it's like you know one hundred thousand and one versus a hundred thousand. But some of these counts could get more and more specific, and then at some point. Um, it's unclear to me. I'm not, I, I haven't like dove into the law and what the requirements are, but I feel like there is, um, there is a boundary issue there that is unclear. Um, what if I, what if you train a machine learning model on data that has since needs to be deleted, uh, is the machine learning model. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of garbage yeah. in, garbage out, uh, not, not anytime garbage, you're dealing like, with, yeah. with an algorithm at the, at the simple level or, or even an AI at the yeah, more complex like if, level. If you're deleted, that, that just, just feeding in more information right. doesn't necessarily improve no, but, your Yeah, but if you, if you want to be deleted, I delete your data. But does it have to be that the entire system has to be as if you never existed? Uh, that's, that's a tougher thing mm. to do. Um, so... Yeah, I mean the, the the whole right to be forgotten. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't fully understand how that works and to what degree yeah. it extends, but... That's that's a that's a yeah, tall yeah. order. I mean, you could at least get rid of the obvious. It's very the obvious uh, stuff could at least be uh, uh, removed. What is it? A, a, a wonderful yeah. life where where he he wishes he'd yeah, never yeah, been yeah. born. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that's exactly what uh, what the logical conclusion is. You have to kind of make the world as if you've never been born. Um, 
So fortunately, it's not being driven to its logical conclusion. It's like you're saying, who knows? Uh, maybe maybe it will be. I mean, you know, yes, some of this, there, there are going to be some edge cases and a lot of stuff in blockchain actually that's going to um, that's going to challenge this law uh, in the future. And there, it's going to be one of those things where they're going to be dealing with so many special cases that it, it's. I, I I'm sure it'll look different. Um, in many years, but I don't want to get into the whole rabbit hole of GDPR today because I haven't really um, done a whole lot of research on it myself, but uh, it, it will be an interesting topic. I'm sure we'll get into it uh, in the future. Um, okay. He says, there's an inability of an AI economy to provide jobs and a living wage for all. That's that's what they always say about every capitalist innovation um, <laughs> or, or any innovation. It, I, it's so stupid to call it capitalist innovation. An innovation is an innovation a technical technological innovation in any system. Um, it's just, I guess the argument is always that when you have a free market economy, um, then that innovation will lead to unemployment um, because people won't find new jobs, which never ends up being the case, but it's always this time it's different. Um, so that's interesting. Um there are two more paragraphs I want to read and respond to uh, rather than going through the whole thing. It is very pervasive. It's the very pervasiveness of AI that will spell the end of market dominance. And this, uh, they're not talking about market dominance in terms of one company dominating the, uh, uh, the economy, but in terms of like the, the dominance of, of free markets. Uh, the market may reasonably if unequally function if the market may reasonably if unequally function if industry creates employment opportunities for most people. But when industry only produces joblessness, as robots take over more and more, there is no good alternative but for the state to step in. As AI invades economic and social life, all private law-related issues will soon become public ones. More and more regulation of private companies will become a necessity to maintain some semblance of stability in societies ruled by constant innovation. Um, I don't think this is this type of thinking is, you know. Um, uh, relegated to what they're taught in uh, socialist countries. I feel like this is sort of this is sort of what pop culture and education teaches in the United States, where it's like, oh, you know, uh, capitalism does produce unemployment, so we need to, you know, do X, Y, and Z to help without really having any, you know, evidence. Um, so I I think that uh, I, I I just. I'm tired of hearing the same stories over and over again, I guess. And let, let me just do one more paragraph and then we'll move on. For the sake of social well-being and security, individuals and private companies should not be allowed to possess any exclusive cutting-edge technology or core AI platforms. Like nuclear and biochemical weapons, as long as they exist, nothing other than a strong and stable state can ensure society's safety. Okay, now I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, like uh, is... It's it's like this is some kind of a weapon of mass destruction. Um, if we don't nationalize AI, we can sink into a dystopia reminiscent of the early misery of industrializations with its satanic mills and street urchins scrounging for a crust of bread. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Please, sir, may I have some more? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was watching Les Mis the other day. Fantastic musical. Very powerful stuff. Um and I tried to, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it's, it's a show that um, has been used by, you know, socialists to say, hey, this is how bad capitalism is. Just look at, just like, you know, listen to the, watch this movie. Um, but then when I look into it more, 
uh, it actually is about, you know, the, the king is, or, or the, essentially the, uh, the, the monarchy is protecting monopolies um, and sort of making it hard for people to get jobs. And the revolutionaries, while extremely ill-advised, if you look into what they were wanted, um, they, they actually wanted more capitalism. So um, anyway, it, it's really, and also this whole like, oh, industrialization led to all this misery. It's like, yeah, a hundred years ago, it was miserable compared to now, but not compared to the 50 years before. I think I already said this. I think I'm going in circles, right? Did I, did I say this on the <laughs> podcast already or did I, uh, did I say this in the pre-show? I, this is the danger of talking through things before we start recording yeah. is, is we can't remember what we've said on the record and what was part of our, our yeah. pre-show. Yeah. So is there anything else to say about this? Uh, I, I guess the, the, the one thing I want to point out that, that I, I, I think we talked about before we, we started rolling, when I first read this article, my immediate reaction was that's, that's not how innovation and technology changing, changing how, how things work works and my my example was look at the industrial revolution there there were a a spate of of technologies that arrived on the scene and completely upended how how business and the economy worked and lots of people lost jobs they the the jobs they were doing before uh, that happened simply didn't exist 50 years later but but it, it didn't result in massive unemployment and collapse of the government well in it, it resulted in the collapse of some uh, controlled economies and the governments that were running right. them. Uh, but but it, it resulted in new jobs that were the result that I'm saying result too many times that grew out of, of these technologies arriving yeah. on the scene. <laughs> and, and interestingly enough, uh, his example of of why AI is, is absolutely going to lead to the downfall of capitalism and the rise of socialism was see the industrial revolution. So it, it's, it's a, a, a serious uh, misalignment of, of worldviews that we can both look at the same historical incident and draw polar opposite conclusions about what that yeah. tells us uh, in, in terms of And to me saying future. it's like a nuclear weapon or a chemical weapon is just a is just a scare tactic. Just putting them in the same sentence doesn't isn't an argument. It's just you're just putting it in the same mm. uh, sentence with some scary words, um, which is another thing I, I don't like when people do. And I, I feel like, and and this is and and I'm again I want to be more critical of of these outlets like you know the Washington Post and so on, where they'll never write a good counter argument to this in. Uh, in their papers, at least not that I've seen, and maybe maybe there are. Um, but I always end up seeing articles like this. Um, like if I can give an example, socialism in Venezuela and Cuba has been terrible. And it's usually, you know, the thing with socialism is is that it can't um, it can't adapt very well to um, you know to problems. And so when a problem comes up and socialism, the socialist economy doesn't adapt to that problem, then it will always be blamed on that problem and not on socialism itself. So for example, in Venezuela, you had Hugo Chavez come to power, um, you know, socialist, democratic socialism at first. Now it's more like a, demo, uh, a, a socialist dictatorship. Um, and at first it was like, oh, this is going to be great. Venezuela is doing some really innovative stuff politically. And then um, 
And things didn't work out so well. There was a lot of civil unrest, uh, a lot of you know starvation, a lot of problems. And I, I remember seeing articles at the time saying, well, uh, oil prices plunged. Venezuela's economy is based on oil. And so uh, that's that's why they're failing. It's, it's, it's a shame. They almost had something really good going on there. But it really is, I really think it's the... It's the socialist aspect of the economy that caused it to fail. Like, I don't see people starving in the streets in, say, Saudi Arabia or the Gulf states. And they, I have a, you know, I could go into like a lot of criticisms of those countries, um, but being communist ain't one of them. Um, so, well, right. If, if you have shortages of bread, which causes the cost of bread to go up, that people can't afford it, passing a law saying that you can't charge more than X for a loaf of bread doesn't solve they, they the do bread that. shortage. Yeah, yeah. That's, they've pretty much yeah. done that word for word. That's, that is a literal example yeah. from Venezuela. Um, and Cuba, too. You know, when I went to Cuba, a lot of people say, well, the reason why Cuba is so poor is because of the American – um, embargo that we've had for so many years, uh, an embargo that I don't support, but um, that's not the reason why they're poor. It's because of the socialist system. If it was, if if they had a free market in Cuba, then they would have been able to be successful uh, despite the embargo because they could trade uh, with any country out there. They can trade with nearby countries in the Caribbean and Mexico. They could trade with Canada. They could trade with all of Europe. China, Russia, there's no reason why they need to be poorer than all of those places. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's not like we're blockading the island or they're a landlocked nation where, where all of their, uh, you know, bordering neighbors have, have embargoed them. There's, there's nothing preventing them from trading with the other, what is it, you know, 160 something sovereign yeah, nations. Yeah. There are a few the small ones that, that, Join the U.S. in the embargo, but not no nothing major. Um, okay, I think I've. Uh, I think anything else on this? I think we are. I think we have about uh, finished with this. I told you this. This could be an entire uh, podcast episode in itself. I think I proved <laughs> it right. Um, I think I'm going to have a very interesting reaction to it. I think some people are going to be. Well, I, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities in the future to, to ride to the defense yeah. of capitalism. So, all again. right. So if anyone out there has a counter argument, or I'm sure this is this is one of the first times where I think a lot of people are not going to like what I'm saying. Uh, so send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com and I will respond to what you have to say and I'll be respectful and um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. So I do want to get in now in part two, uh, and it is related to the Google I.O. event. Did you hear about this event that happened this week? So it's, it's Google has this show every year where they, um, where they showcase some of their new technology. Yeah, I, I haven't been following it, but I keep getting things in my email saying, here's a list of the top 10 things, you know, cool things that were, were announced at Google I.O. So it's, it's certainly grabbing yeah, headlines. So Sundar Pakai, the CEO of Google, went on stage and talked about uh, – one of the AI solutions that they had, which will actually call, it's like having an assistant that will call businesses for you and make reservations and get information from those businesses. And I've seen stuff like this before, actually. Like when I went to the Betaworks bot conference, uh, there was one company that wanted to know, okay, um, you know, similar to Foursquare, which businesses are open today, right? And some businesses, you don't have the data on whether they're open. So they would call the business and they would say, and the robot bot would say, what time are you open? Oh, we're open till 10. Okay, bye. And then uh, it would fill in its database that this, is, this place is open till 10. And then if anyone runs a query, 
uh, it'll have that information. So let's hear for a second what the Google AI Assistant does. Um, there are two of them. So let me play the first clip. Let's say you want to ask Google to make you a haircut appointment on Tuesday between 10 and noon. What happens is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you. So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. People are excited. Oh, how can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's your first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks, great. Have a great day. Bye. All right, that's it. Okay, just watching that clip. Now I'm totally convinced we need a communist revolution. That just uh, <laughs> that just hits at home right me. Everything I said, totally invalidated. A, a digital personal assistant for every, everyone. You'll never have to work a day in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, um, Okay, so I thought this was really cool. Um, you know, this assistant made a, a women's haircut appointment. I wonder, he said it was a real call, but I wonder if it was actually a real appointment. I wonder if they had to call back and say, sorry, that was our bot. We don't, there is no Amy. We have no appointment for you. Uh, but uh, I, I, it seems like a really smart thing. And, you know, I, I've heard people say on Twitter, like, oh, a, a bot finally passes the Turing test. This is not that. Um, a Turing test, for those of you who don't know, is when you can't distinguish between a human and a computer. Um, but that's only when you're talking to both of them and you're asking them both questions to try to determine who the computer is and who the human is. Not that you can be like, you know, tricked when you're not. Right. I mean, they've, they've definitely added in uh, just about the right amount of quirks and, and you know, yes. things to the speech pattern so that it doesn't sound like, you know, the, the classic Stephen Hawking's computer voice. Right, right. And that, and I think... You're like, oh, well, that's, that's a, an automated system talking to me. That was probably the hardest part to get right. Um, and I wonder, I wonder how important that was um, to get right. Um, obviously, they invested a lot of resources in it, so they probably thought it was that important. It's interesting that if... So one of, if I would have guessed maybe 10 years ago, you know, how appointments like this would work in the future, I would say, well, all of these places would probably hook into some kind of reservation system and it could all be done digitally. But it turns out that a lot of these small businesses um, aren't organized into these reservation systems. Some are, you know, you have seamless, you have, uh, you know, things like that. But um, it, it turns out that many can't get away from this phone call model. And so now the AIs are smart enough to hook into this phone call model, <laughs> which is something, I mean, would you have guessed that? I don't think I would have. Well, so uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, uh, we 
my my wife and I went out went out to dinner and and I wanted to make a reservation beforehand and I looked up the website and I found the the number for the restaurant and and I actually saw on their on their website there was a little button there for to to make a reservation through the website right. uh, and it, it turns out they were actually doing it through Yelp which I decided eh, I'm I'm not comfortable doing that thank um, you I, I don't, want, don't want to support your competition <laughs> uh, so so I actually called them on the phone to do it instead even though I could have just clicked a button and done it but yeah. but I I didn't actually realize that Yelp was was filling that role for uh, a number of, of, of restaurants to provide an electronic reservation well, system. Are, for are you sure? Is it Yelp or was it Yelp? It, was it to open table? Because that's what we use. I, it you know, it could, could have didn't been look like too. it went to open table because, yeah. uh, and granted I haven't used open table in a long time. I used it when yeah. it, early when it first came out, but, but I think yeah. Yelp has their own service to some extent there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think they really want, I, I think the reason why they work so hard to get this voice right is that if you call with a robotic sounding voice, maybe the business would just immediately hang up. Yeah. Well, uh, and then I do that too. Um, and, and I oh, feel bad for the woman out there who recorded these because I, I, I pretty frequently get uh, calls at work uh, that are that are from either like you know the hotel rewards program yes. or it's a call about your credit card or notifying you you know something from uh, the 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 power company and and I am ninety nine percent convinced that they're pre recorded messages and that they're they're part of of a phone scam but yeah. there is somebody out there whose voice is being used for that and when they try and make legitimate phone calls everybody's hanging up on them oh yeah i'm sure uh, <laughs> but it, you could probably tell the difference between somebody being like a voice actor in like reading it the way they want to for these uh, for these calls and then somebody being real maybe um, but anyway uh, yeah so these these sound very smart um, I know I built a lot of systems that look smarter than they really are under the hood. Um, so I think these probably are, I think the smartest part is the voice and the voice recognition on the other hand, because we'll see in the se- in the second clip, uh, he has somebody with a very strong uh, accent that, you know, I would have a difficult time understanding as a human. Um, I would be like, okay, got to listen carefully now. Um, but uh, it was able to get that. Um, and then... It's also able to get some nuanced situations that come up. Why don't we look at the second call now so we can see uh, one of the more complicated situations that comes up, right? Okay, roll tape. Right. Hey, how may I hear you? Hi, um, I'd like some sort of table for Wednesday the 7th. For seven people? Um, it's for four people. Four people when? Um, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Oh, actually, we need to go like after like five people. For people, you can come. How long is the wait usually to uh, be seated? For when tomorrow or weekday or? For next Wednesday, uh, the seventh. Oh no, it's not too busy. You you can come for four people, okay? Oh, I gotcha. Thanks. All right. So there's that one. This one was very interesting. Um, and yeah, the, the speech recognition, unbelievable technology. But in terms of the actual conversation itself and what it understands, um, I'm guessing that it's still a very limited domain. 
And there's probably only a limited number of things that it can handle. Although limited in terms of if you have a bunch of people working on it for a year, there are a lot of situations that you can kind of hand program in. Yeah, you, you mentioned be- before that you, you've worked on a bunch of systems that that look smarter than they are. Yeah. And I, I think there may be some of that going on here that uh, – and, and this, this kind of gets to the, the whole narrow AI thing that we, we think about these problems as if it's a human solving them. And uh, in, in some of these cases, the, the AI is certainly not nearly as smart as a human in, in terms of like a, a general artificial intelligence, but there's one narrow area where it's been very well trained and it can do better than a human or at least pretty close to as well as a human there. And so it can kind of fool us there. But once you get to the edges of, of what that, that narrow area is, it all begins to fall apart. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that could work, probably will work perfectly well in almost all of these situations. Um, I do wonder, you know, what if there's no appointment available during the time that it wants? And, you know, what I would do on the phone is I would say, oh, okay, let me check my calendar. Let's see if we could do another time. Um, would that do it for you? And would you trust, you know, it's not like you, it's not like you would tell your, it's not like you would tell Google beforehand, hey, if they can't do it this time, do that other time. Because like, I don't want to have to think about it if that time is available. I'm I'm guessing that's what happened in the first call because the the afternoon appointment wasn't available, right. and so they they look, gave them an option for for something in a morning oh, time yeah, slot. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So, so I, I I would expect that that being Google that the AI is is able to tie into your Google Calendar, and and maybe part of the requirement is you need to give it a a uh, when you give it a task, you need to give it a wide enough berth that that it's not constrained to if if. If it fails in the first level test, that it completely fails. Yeah, I mean, you could just give it leeway to put more stuff on your calendar during your free time, but that means yeah. that you have I mean, all your much, stuff. Much on your- like you would with a good personal assistant right. in in real it, life. It, it, you don't want them coming back to you after yeah. after that first phone call and saying, "Well, I couldn't get you the the one o'clock. What other times of the day yeah. do you it want? Means, you know, can I schedule for it?" It's like, calendar. no, go go make an appointment for me. Look at my calendar. I don't want to have to deal with this. That's why I hired you. You, do you have an assistant like that? I do not. No, <laughs> no neither do I. <laughs> but my, you my former boss. Well, but but my my former boss would would use uh, the the administrative assistant in our office similar to okay. that, and, and uh, well, it was it was kind of somewhere in between because they they would constantly be yelling back and forth to each other, you know. So so imagine halfway through that phone call, the AI yells down the hall, "What about ten thirty? And yeah. and then you have to yell back, "No, that's no good for me." It, it's it, it kind of defeats the purpose of delegating yeah. the task. See now with AI, everybody is going to have a uh, uh, a, a personal assistant. Um, well, so so that that when when you were playing through the clip, uh, it, it made me think: What if the your personal assistant AI calls the restaurant and the restaurant is using a personal assistant AI to take reservations and answer simple questions. And then, so you have two, you know, artificial intelligence, personal assistants talking to each other, uh, using complex speech recognition and producing uh, human-like speech. It it seems like there's a lot of inefficiency going in there. If the two computers could just recognize we're both AIs, let's, you know, cut out the middleman and talk directly to each other and exchange the key information. Right, right. But, but I don't know if that's something that that's, that's even within the scope of, of, no, I think that will totally happen. I think usually when you see clips of two AIs talking, it's something kind of ridiculous. But I actually think we will be hearing 
clips um, in the future of two AIs actually trying to get something done and using human speech to do it. And that'll be very interesting. And you're right. Uh, when you see that, you're kind of like, well, that's inefficient. Um, why not just use an API? Like, I want to know what the, let's, let's take the Foursquare API, for example. I want to know uh, what the venue rating is for the coffee shop down the street. I ask Foursquare through the API, Foursquare responds. There's no like speech to text recognition and advanced natural language processing in that process. Uh, so, uh, but um, it, I feel like the API route has kind of not saturated, but it's been used a lot. And uh, the people at Google and I think people across the industry believe that this uh, speech technology and voice recognition technology uh, can be used to get a lot more information that we otherwise can get. And a lot of it is, is, it's not like hidden information, like, you know, forbidden information. A lot of it's very mundane information that just isn't put online in that way. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of loop, looping back to something we, we mentioned before uh, um, with the idea of, of two AIs talking to each other. Um, I, I, I was talking a little bit about uh, AI being used in, in, uh, in the financial markets, and and one of the big uh, scares ab- about the use of AI and automation has been the the whole scenario where uh, a few automated trading algorithms kind of got into a, a a feedback loop with each other and caused huge drop in market prices. Uh, and, and granted, I, I don't expect that type of thing to happen with two AIs talking to each other using uh, using voice recognition, but there, there's all sorts of kind of unforeseen things that can happen when, when two AIs get locked in a room together and start I'm, chatting. I'm sure it will happen. I think, you know, people have problems when they chat with other people, but AIs can have different sorts of problems. And to us, it looks jarring. Like, why, are, why is that person in a feedback loop? Um, although we've all been on phone calls where we can't get the information that we want to get. We've all been in frustrating phone calls. So it's not <laughs> different. It's just our frustrating phone calls and their, quote unquote, their, like the AI's frustrating phone calls just look completely different. And it's going to seem very funny to us. That's, that's well, and the AI we'll has the advantage that it won't lose its temper and explode like yeah, I might. Yeah. Although who knows, maybe, maybe they'll program that in. Uh, or maybe it will just decide to do it. It could be very effective for a certain subset of, yeah, of, yeah. of desired outcomes. Maybe, yes, yes. That will be an interesting, um, you know, if you're trying to like a, a negotiating robot um, that gets angry in certain circumstances when it thinks anger is beneficial to the negotiation. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know, who knows. Um, there was also another issue that came up with this and that's the moral implication of fooling the business owners uh, into thinking that they're talking to a real person. Um, I'm still not sure how I feel about that. I feel like I kind of, my, my first reaction is, well, it's fine because they're getting a client and, you know, why would they need to know it's an AI anyway? Because it, that's just, that's just going to waste their time, you know? But yeah. And, and maybe it'll just be a, Kind of an etiquette thing in the future, much like uh, you know when when it placed the call, it said I'm I'm placing a, a uh, I'm I'm trying to make an appointment for a client. Uh, maybe maybe in the future uh, they will preface all those conversations with uh, you know I I am an, an artificial intelligence assistant and I am placing a call for a maybe, client. 
yeah. just just to get Maybe that out there. Very but- you know very succinctly like hi I'm a bot I'm you know making a, a call for a client uh, rather than being and by the way I think these were actually real voices of of real people that were kind of rearranged and modified to fit the certain script. Um, I believe that's my guess. So I, it's going to, so it's going to sound like a real person, but if it's, if it, if there's just some very succinct way to, and, and then that way. Yeah. Can, and like, I'm sure there'll be some yeah. sort of short. Right. Nobody wants that, to say it like, I am an artificial intelligence program <laughs> to continue with the conversation. Please press one. You know, nobody wants to hear well, that. And, and I mean, similarly, one has to assume that at least for, uh, I, I, I don't want to say quality assurance purposes, yeah. uh, but but for kind of uh, for for improving the algorithm and making sure that it's functioning properly, these calls are going to be recorded. And depending on what jurisdiction you're in, uh, that that would ostensibly require some sort of notification to the party on the other line. I know I know there are some states that are uh, two party states and some states that are one party state. So it de- it depends which you're in whether you need both people's permission to record something like yeah. that. But I, I could very easily see uh, whatever uh, section of, of the, the legal code handles that uh, that distinction requiring that that when using a, an artificial intelligence uh, you know bot that, that that must also be you must share that information with the people on the yeah, line with you. Yeah, um, or people maybe will just get used to it. I yeah. I heard this on Glenn Beck this morning when he was like going over you know how people's voices can be modified. You can, I've seen demonstrations where, uh, you know, somebody showed, Oh yeah. They, they can yeah, do like video, video of Obama saying stuff that he didn't say. And it's like, yeah. you know, in 10 years, you won't be, you won't believe anything that you hear or see. Um, and it's <laughs> that, um, I don't know. It's kind of mind blowing to think about. Yes. Seeing is believing has been a, a pretty weak uh, stance for for yeah. a while now, but it's getting weaker. Uh, it's 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 getting even yeah, murkier. Yeah. yeah. You also mentioned, um, you know, the moral implications of. Yeah. So so I I, I mentioned what, what about the possibility if if the business is using uh, a an, an automated you know a, a bot or an AI to answer their phones and what other possible uh, use cases might there be for that and uh, one one. That, that, that came to mind is a place where you want to make sure that nobody ever gets a busy tone or sent a voicemail, and that's a suicide right. hotline. And the alternative of, of somebody calling that line and not getting somebody to pick up to talk to is, is really, really bad. But are people going to be okay with the idea of talking to a machine in that case, even if they can't necessarily tell, you know, like, you know, depending on whether or not that's something that you need to or or would disclose, uh, but just knowing that the 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 person they're talking to, I, I air quoted that person, uh, might be yeah. a bot. Uh, would would that make people less likely to use that service or or feel betrayed uh, when they realize that that could be yeah. the case? Or is simply being able to talk to to someone that that approximates a attentive and listening person, whether they're real or not, fulfills the need of yeah, that it's function. Possible. It's possible um, that, that's, that that's the case, that uh, if people know what it is, then it would still perform the same function. Um, in the event that that's not the case, in the event that you could save, potentially save, if it's like proven that you can save lives by hiding that fact, I feel like there is a moral case to not disclose the AI Mm. Um, 
the uh, artificialness of the of the bot of the conversation. I, and and I haven't given no, this that much thought, but I would almost be more more comfortable with not telling the person that that it's a bot rather than you know having a, a message come up that that says you know. No human operators are available at this time. If you would like to speak to an automated bot, you know, press one, and we'll connect you to our our AI, you know, uh, uh, consultant or, or or whatever the, the term they're going right, to use for right. the bot is. That I feel like would 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 be worse than than just ignoring the distinction and getting something yeah, to answer. Yeah, yeah. If there's a number that you can call, just like you know, like hey, I'm calling this number. And this number gets you to the AI bot like directly, like that would be ideal. But again, like I don't know what the, I, in this case you kind of have to ask yourself. I don't know what the research says, and I don't know what the experts are going to say about what you know how what the best way is to deal with this situation. But I can imagine. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot I don't know about about mental health and suicide prevention that would be important to make yeah. that kind of an assessment. Yeah. Uh, but 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 that's 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 a case where I could see that this this kind of Appropriate use of AI bots could be very, right. very touchy, uh, right. sensitive. Topic. Okay, and one more thing I want to mention before we move on. Uh, this is this reminds me of another project that I saw last summer, which was the Jolly Roger project. And uh, what the Jolly Roger project does is it it's sort of the reverse. It takes it, it makes a really frustrating bot. Um, and it takes a scammer or whatever that's calling you, and it has that scammer talk to a bot, which is really a series of pre-recorded messages. Again, this is something that appears much smarter than it is, um, because it's not doing a whole lot of sophisticated voice recognition. It does, you know, some very simple voice recognition, and it sort of takes some of these scam scammers and it's designed to waste their time as much as possible. Um, okay. So one more story before we finish up. This is going to be a kind of a longish episode, although we'll see. Maybe I can edit it down. Um, we want to follow up on our cryptocurrency stories, as always. Uh, Bill Gates wishes he could short Bitcoin. Aaron, tell us what this article is about. Yeah. So the 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 article that that I sent you the link to is is actually a follow up um, because uh, I I think it was at it was at a conference with a bunch of Wall Street folks and and Bill Gates made the comment. Um, oh, I want to find the money quote here. Ah, here it is. Uh, I would short it if there was an easy way to do it. As an asset class, you're not producing anything, so you shouldn't expect it to go up. He said it's kind of a pure greater fool theory type of investment, uh, and and the it he's referring to there, of course, is, is Bitcoin. Um, so my initial reaction, uh, which I was not alone in, was if you want to short Bitcoin, there have got to be a lot of really simple ways to do that. It's it's not that complex. You know, the market is out there to do it. Put your money where your mouth is, and and of course that's pretty much exactly what uh, I don't know if it was both Winklevoss twins or <laughs> one of the Winklevoss twins, yeah. but but they uh, oh here here we go. It was it was Tyler Winklevoss, and I'm looking at a photo of both. I have no idea which is which. Um, but but he yeah he he tweeted out you know dear at Bill Gates, there is an easy way to short Bitcoin. You can short uh, hashtag XBT uh, the CBOE Bitcoin US futures contract and put your money where your mouth is. Um, and it's unclear whether Bill Gates has actually gone ahead and done that. Uh, I I would lean towards the fact that, that he not. has not. Uh, but but it was it was interesting on a couple of fronts. One one that uh, 
when it was so easy to to take that action, he, he kind of flippantly put it out there. And, and it almost seems like he hasn't really thought about it other than the fact that he yeah. doesn't be- believe in it. And and I think it's a completely valid uh, opinion he, he could have that I think Bitcoin is going to crash and burn and it's not a good long-term investment. But to, to say that fundamentally as an asset class, there's, there's nothing being produced and so it's worthless – is I, I feel short-sighted. I think the argument is um, that it doesn't produce any, um, like it doesn't produce any dividend. Um, but I also think that's short-sighted. Um, Bill Gates is. I'm I'm surprised because he has said some very positive things about Bitcoin, maybe cryptocurrency in general, uh, in the past. Um, and he's generally on top of new technology. You know, he's he was a very early proponent of the internet. Although some people say that uh, you know uh, Microsoft, when he was running it, was slow to adapt to the new use cases of the internet. Even though they, uh, you know, even though they drove they they drove a lot of its adoption adoption, but they were slow on the ball uh, on some things. Maybe like you know social networking and and things like that. That um, yeah, I mean, I mean it's always, will always you can be say remem- that for any company. Yeah, yeah. If if you've been in the technology world long enough, you're going to make a prediction that doesn't yeah, pan out. You're going to miss uh, something. And, and his, yeah. Probably his his most famous one will be the him stating that 640k ought to be enough memory for anyone. Yeah. Um, back back in uh, was it the 80s? Maybe it was the it early probably 90s. Probably was but, when. It probably was for anyone who bought that machine. And, and I don't think this this comment about Bitcoin will will stick to him as long and, and as uh, enduringly as, as that one did. No. But it, there it, are much it, worse stuff written about Bitcoin that's going to worse that's going to look much worse uh, in the future. If you just go to yeah, BitcoinObituaries.com, it shows you all <laughs> the time uh, Bitcoin has been declared dead. My my general strategy now is if something's been declared dead three times and it's still there, it's probably a good investment. <laughs> so the, the other thing that, that, that shocked me uh, that they cited in the article was uh, apparently in the past, he's, he's made some negative comments about Bitcoin, uh, tying it to, to its use for illicit purchases. Um, mm. And, and the, the quote they call it is, right now, cryptocurrencies are used for buying fentanyl and other drugs. So it's a rare technology that has caused deaths in a fairly direct way. Uh, and as, as someone fundamental in the, uh, the introduction of the personal computer to, to the consumer market and all of the terrible things people have done, I mean, I'm not going to play uh, you know, child porn on the internet at Bill Gates's feet, but in a world yeah. without personal computers, that, that, that doesn't spread nearly as fast as it does. And, and I'm not going to blame IBM for having uh, helped the, the, uh, German government tabulate their census results to, uh, which were later used to to help round up Jews and and other undesirable ethnic groups uh, dur- during the Holocaust. I'm not going to say that that's the technology's fault. Yeah. Um, just just because something is used by some bad actors doesn't fundamentally taint the technology itself. Um, yeah. and, and I thought that was uh, pretty. They they use the term naive, and and I I'd almost be tempted to use something stronger uh, about. Uh, Bill Gates taking that well, that stance on the technology. Bill Gates has taken this stance in the recent weeks. Uh, Warren Buffett and, and Charles, yeah, he's uh, he's and certainly Charles not Munger alone taken among uh, yeah. wealthy, successful investors in right. in uh, yeah, it, the the Warren Buffett quote is is uh, that that Bitcoin is is rat poison squared. 
um, right. which Although, I'm not entirely sure what that means other than it's really bad. Uh, other than, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, to be fair though, Warren Buffett doesn't invest in a lot of technology. Uh, he, he simply, you know, he, he says he, he likes to invest in things that are simple to him. Bitcoin is not simple. So, you know, and he's found a very successful investment strategy, but it doesn't mean that everything he says no on is, is really a no. I think also there's this idea that it's not going to produce any, you know, any dividends could also be false. I mean, we know that, look, Bitcoin divided into Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. And then if you sell your Bitcoin cash, you get a dividend. And now there's also this idea of the lightning network where you could stake your Bitcoin against, um, you know, a lightning node that has, uh, that does a whole bunch of, that, that, that does a whole bunch of transactions and each one has a small fee. And then you can use your Bitcoin to accrue more Bitcoin. I, I think the, 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 uh, Correct me if I'm, I'm I'm wrong in the use of the term here, but kind of the second layer technology on on top of Bitcoin, um, yeah, that that could make for a, an entire another discussion because I oh, would love to learn more about that, and and I know we're running long, so I I don't want us to to try and and well, I'm not prepared uh, to talk justice. about it, today, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's a possibility for for dividends, yeah. and I think that it's just the technology. I mean, look, the internet doesn't provide any dividend. You don't get a dividend from running a server. Uh, you know, it's just it's a platform. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the the paradigm shift confuses people so much that they use old, you know, thinking. Uh, they they apply old thinking to it, and it's just yeah. Well, and, in my and view, it's not going to work. And maybe part of it is that he's viewing it as quote an asset class, and and I think yeah. that may be partially driven by how the the IRS and and other groups have have treated it. Uh, but what what is Bitcoin? Is it an asset? Is it a currency? Yeah. Is it is it something else? Uh, it, it's probably yeah. something else. But I I don't. I am not an economist, uh, or nor nor do I work in the financial markets, uh, and and yeah. I am not an expert on Bitcoin. So, saying exactly what it is, I I couldn't answer, and I and I think to a large extent it's still being defined. Right, but- and I could see a point where like it's the the value is much higher, and it's got adoption throughout the economy, and it's just you know used all the time. Where it's kind of like cash, where or or gold maybe where you're not necessarily going, you're not going to get rich buying it. Um, and it's just kind of a stable class. This is like far future stuff. Yeah. Well, like, um, but, but in, in that case, the, yeah, then maybe, you know, maybe it, you could maybe say very much the same thing about gold. Gold right. doesn't, doesn't produce anything. It just, it right. is. Uh, however, right. investing in gold uh, has been uh, in in some markets, it's it's been very stable, and and in some markets, it's it's been a, a an asset that's appreciated ridiculously. Yeah, yeah, it could. Some points in time, it could. Um, okay, so yeah, that's a that's another story that we'll be following in the future. Hopefully, you know, all, I think all this stuff is just going to come up again and again and again. So we'll have uh, time to. Uh, uh, to, to reconvene. I know we want to get back to Facebook, uh, hopefully yeah, maybe in a couple of weeks. If we missed it this week. I'm sure there'll be something in the news next week that will let us talk about it again. Yeah. All right, Aaron, thanks so much uh, for coming on again. It's been a lot of fun and, uh, see you next time. See you then. All right. Next week, I talked to Foursquare communications director, Sarah Spagnolo. We're going to talk about how to use the insights that we get from data scientists and machine learning engineers and turn it into a news story that 
people actually care about, that people actually want to read. And we're going to learn about some of the real insights that we've gathered at Foursquare. Plus, we're going to get into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff about online media and going on TV with Al Roker, for example. That was really fun. I had a great time talking to Sarah, and I think you'll really enjoy listening to it. So join me next week, and have a great week, everyone. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxSquad. Have a great week. Feel the power. Okay, recording is now in progress. Uh, I see my sound working. And how do I sound on the scent? It looks great. I see a very nice sound signature. Excellent. So Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, what was Bill Gates thinking? Uh, you can throw <laughs> that one into the into the bloopers. Maybe I'll put that at the end of the show. <laughs>